This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, my name is Andrew, and it's always a joy and privilege when we can gather as God's people. I thank God for you, and I pray that you thank God for each other, because this is God's gift to you as you journey on in this Christian life, you're a Christian, or if you're not, this is a place where you get to see how people respond to what we call the gospel. So let's begin this time in prayer as we go back into the book of Romans. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you today as we come back to the book of Romans. Father, there's so much in Romans that affirms, assures, and comforts us and reminds and trains and rebukes us. So, Father, today as we open up your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to engage our mind with your word, that our hearts will be engaged with the truth that's revealed, and that God, you will strengthen our lives and our hands, that we will respond rightly when your Spirit works in our hearts. Be with us today as we open up your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your bulletin, it would be great if you keep it open, because I'll go through um, quite a fair bit back into the text, and I'll ask you to look at them with me. Now, there was a Christian by the name Melvin. Melvin shared the gospel of Jesus to his friend over a coffee. The conversation was landed on sin, and eventually it lands on the forgiveness of sin if a person truly believes in Jesus. All sins will be forgiven, Melvin told his friend. Because the grace of Jesus is more powerful than the sin that man can commit. In fact, as Melvin was talking to his friend, he actually knows how his friend has committed various sins in his life openly. But then he always tried to compensate by doing more charity work, more good things. And as, as Melvin looked at his friend, a passage from Romans 5 that he heard the previous week came to him and he said to his friend, And my dear friend, this is what the Bible says, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. At this, his non-Christian friend looked at Melvin and then he said, if grace is so powerful that a Christian can be forgiven no matter how much sins he or she committed, if sin increases and grace is able to increase so much more, he paused and he looked at Melvin with a very serious face. Then I would like to have this grace. I'd like to have a slice of this grace. In fact, I'd like to be a Christian because then you give me the license to sin. And Melvin was just looking at him, wondering what he's saying and what to interpret. And then his friend just burst out laughing and said, Come on, Melvin, give me a break. If there's grace that's like that, that can freely forgive sin, why would anyone want to be moral? You'd just be a ticket to sin all you want and just come in and say the magic words and be forgiven. And he'd laugh it off. But as Melvin was looking at his friend, he started to become silent. His thought seems to have gone back into his own mind. As he started to think about his own life, how often he has sinned again 
and again and again as a Christian. In fact, how many times has he thought to himself, surely God will forgive me if I do this? And he does it. And as the laughter of his friend continues, Melvin starts to think, is he right? Is grace really just a ticket for, for Christians to just sin more? Because we can say, just say the magic words and to be forgiven. Is that all there is as a Christian? Sin tempts me. I give in. God forgives. Sin comes in. I give in. God forgives. Is that all there is? That we will just keep going on sinning so that God's grace will keep increasing on me. Shall we as Christians, if you are one, be thankful for grace, but just give in to sin? Should we be, if you are a Christian, should we just be thankful for grace, but just give in to sin? Now, dear brothers and sisters, if you are a Melvin, or you feel like a Melvin, wondering if anything actually changed, if after you become a Christian, except being forgiven, does grace becoming just an excuse for you to sin more? In fact, have you, if you're like a Melvin, you come to a point where you think, whenever I feel like sinning, there's just that voice that comes and say, God will forgive you. And that makes it a little bit easier to sin without feeling too bad about it. If you're like a Melvin, this might be some of the struggles. Or perhaps if you're like Melvin's friend, you actually wonder if there's really a religion that's based on grace alone, can it survive? Can it really survive with just grace alone without any compensation or good works to compensate for wrong? Wouldn't people in this religion just flood into sin, open up the floodgate to sin again and again freely? Well, here we are at Romans 6. The impact of grace on a Christian's relationship with sin. That's where we are as we come to Romans 6. Because just before this, at Romans 5, we are told how powerful is Christ, that how His grace is able to overcome even the worst sin. But Romans 6 comes in. But there is something that changes in the relationship of a Christian and sin. In fact, this is Paul's immediate answer to those who struggle like Melvin or like his friend. Listen, in fact, look at verse 1 and 2 of Romans 6 with me as I read it for us. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, the most important point that Paul wants to put in right into this passage is this. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to break the law. Because all who have trusted in Jesus, as Paul says, have died to sin. And if we have died to sin, how can we live for in any sin any longer? If you and me or a Melvin, who is a Christian, has come to Jesus, we have already died to sin. But now, wait a minute, you might say, uh, Andrew, wait a minute, what does it mean to actually die to sin? Does it mean Christians can no longer sin? Well, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> In fact, you probably won't have any Christians around if you say that's the case. Does, does being dead to sin means that 
we wouldn't be able to be tempted by sin. Or if you search deep enough, or you don't have to search very deep, you know that it's not true. Because Christians can be tempted to sin. So what does Paul actually mean when he comes to Romans 6 to say, we are dead to sin? And this is where Paul tries to unpack the meaning of dead to sin by using the symbolic act of baptism. Now we know baptism doesn't automatically save us. In fact, in our times, in a lot of Christian circles, people do not get baptized right away when they believe in Jesus. Some of them take months and for a long time. But that's not the case in Paul's time. In Paul's time, baptism and confession is like hand and gloves. When they believe in Jesus, they just get baptized and they face their persecution on day one. When they believe in Jesus, they become baptized. And so this is the context of today's passage when Paul starts to bring in baptism because baptism is equivalent to a Christian's conversion in the text of Romans. Baptism is equals to a Christian's conversion, meaning our repentance of sin, our submission to Jesus, our confession, Jesus is Lord and Savior. It, it all links up to the word baptism. So that when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, we're said that we have also died with Christ. And when Christ was raised, uh, was buried, we are also called to be buried with Him. In fact, we are in union with Christ. So this is what happens at baptism. We are saying that when we are baptized, we are united with Christ. When He, when He dies, we die. When He rises, we get new life. So that's what baptism means. Now imagine with me this this account. There's a cowboy town. If you like cowboy stories, you can imagine the picture. A cowboy town long ago. There was this man who walks into the office of the sheriffs. He was holding on to this big bag of gold. He had this knife on his back, and he carried this piece of wanted um, notice, dead or life. On it, it says Melvin the Vow. Do I have a picture? Yep, there you have it. He went in, he looked at the sheriff, and he says, I'm the man. He confesses his sins. He, he confesses all the crimes. The sheriff looked at him, checked the records. It's exactly what he said. He brought the money and gold bar there. It looks like those that were stolen. And he concluded that he is Melvin Amal. Even had the same shaved off or unshaved um, beard that I actually had just now. <laughs> and so the money was put there. He was punished, was hung in a witness of the country, uh, the cowboy town. Everyone witnessed him, and the case was closed. Melvin the Vow was um, caught. But a few, a few months later, this, this group of people who came and dragged a guy, that they claimed he looks more like Melvin the Vow. He had a bag of gold with him. And so they dragged him to the sheriff's office. And as the sheriff looked at the man and the accusation by the crowd, he opened up his, his records. I said, look at it, there was there, signed in blood, a confession of one who's called Melvin and Val. He had given all the gold, has been paid back, he has been hung for the crime. As the sheriff looked at the records, and then he looked at this man, he says, we can't kill two Melvin the Val. The first one has died, 
we can't have a second one. And according to the laws of this town, he is innocent. And so he was set free, and this guy, whoever he was, came out and said, you are free to stay in our place, enjoy using your gold. In fact, we should call you Melvin the Great. Now friends, this is just a rough illustration of what happened at baptism when we turned to Jesus for rescue. For forgiveness of sin, when we come to Jesus, He took on our identity, our sins, He bore the penalty that we should pay, and meanwhile, He passed on to us His perfect identity of the one who is great and right. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. In your bulletin or in your Bible, verse 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. And again, verse 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now look again, I want you to look again at what verse 7 is saying. Look at verse 7 again. The one with the small letter 7. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is what baptism symbolizes, our union with Christ. We are counted dead to sin when Christ took our identity and died for sin, for our sin. Our old man, our identity in Adam, our old self, our old self was crucified on the cross when Jesus took the name that we have and was crucified on the cross. And we were considered dead and buried when Jesus, who took with us all that we should have and was buried on the ground. We are counted free from the slavery of sin when Jesus Christ took our identity and truly died. And that's why verse 7, it means this, anyone who has already died for the penalty of sin has been set free from sin. What it means is sin can no longer drag us into the sheriff's office, to the court, or even to God's presence and demand that Justice be paid. Because it has already been paid. He cannot demand that blood be shed. Because blood has already been poured out. So what does it mean for Christians to have died to sin? Well, it does not mean that we can no longer sin. It does not mean that we will never be tempted to sin. But it does mean that sin can no longer demand death from those Christ has paid for. And because we have already died to sin, He can no longer call us into the sheriff's office. Sin can no longer demand what has already been paid for. Well, if that is not enough, God has intention for us to see that we have received more than that. So now look back to 3 to 7. And actually, I've skipped a few passages just now, but I want to come back this time around. 
Verse 4, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have may live a new life. Again, verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we are certainly also united with Him in a resurrection like His. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you are united with Christ, which is depicted in baptism, we are not only united in His death, but we are also united with Him in a resurrection like His. And when Jesus rose from the dead on that moment, He offers those who are in Him a new life. We are meant to see Jesus from then on, if we have died to Him, died in Him, to also see what a new life looks like. So a one who has died the death that's meant to die, that Christ has died for us, we are meant to see what a resurrected life or new life looks like. Because that will mean that grace is not a ticket that we can put in our pocket to enter heaven, but in the meantime, nothing changes. Grace... It means now that it is just part of our union with Christ. Grace is part of who we are when we are united with Christ. We not only die in sin, um, we die to sin in Christ, we are set free from the power of sin. And so this is it, we are not set free to sin, we are set free from sin. I think it's important to get this right, we are not set free to sin, but we are set free from sin. We are set free to live a life that is revealed in Christ. So look at, in fact, look at verse 8 to 11 as Paul unpacks how that actually means. Verse 8 to 11. I put it in my own words, but you can look at the passage. Jesus who has resurrected, well, he can't die again because sin has no power over Jesus. And because of that, death has no mastery over him. Sin can no longer demand death of Jesus. And now Jesus lives to God. Do you see the words? Jesus live to God, meaning that Jesus now live for the glory of God. So when Jesus rose, he is meant to live for the glory of God. But why does Paul bother to explain Jesus in this way for us? Because we are meant to follow. Look at verse 10 to 11. Now I read 10 to 11 for us and see what we are meant to be like. Verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Christians, we have died to sin, we are released from sin's power, sin has no demand from us, but instead of looking for, to sin now, we now look to Jesus to be alive in Christ, in, um, to God in Christ. We're meant to live like kingdom people. We're meant to live like who Jesus has prepared us to be. We're meant to know the power of the cross to save us and to change us. Our words, our thoughts, our desires start to change because now we have a different direction. So grace is not a ticket, but grace is part of what we have when we are united with Christ. And so having been released from the power of sin, we are no longer to invite sin to reign in us, but we are rather to offer ourselves to God, as we rightly should, if we are united with Christ. Look at verse 12 
and 14 as well. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are no, you're not under the law but under grace. Now this was happening to our friend Melvin right at the beginning and for all of us if we are in Christ. Because sin has lost its power of death over us. What sin has left now is trickery. What sin has left now is what we call bluff. Sin can come and tempt us, can come and threaten us, but it just can't demand for us. Sin can use the tempting voice that we might be familiar, the threatening voice that we hate to lure us, but it just can't force you, if you're a Christian, to obey him. It's like a lion that's across the other cage that can rowl and frighten you as much as it can, but his teeth can't sink on you without you putting your hand for him to bite. Someone gave this example, but I, I just changed it a little bit um, so that you don't know. Um, it, it's about professional football players, but I just took the, the names of the groups so you wouldn't jerk at me or cheer at me. But, but just imagine for a moment you are a professional football player. You have been brought over from Team A to Team B. You've changed your jersey. You've changed your number. You've got a different coach. I'm not talking to, about anyone if you're a soccer fan. Um, now, during your match, Team A and Team B comes in and the match goes on. As you run as a member of Team B, suddenly you hear the shout of a voice of your old coach shouting your name. Melvin! No, whatever name. Turn around, run the other way. The voice was so familiar, you have trained and hard and have spent time with them that the, the voice shivers you. And you know the consequence if you fail to listen. But wait a minute, it says, should I actually be listening? And the voice came a second time. Pass it on to your old mates, what are you doing? And you're almost tempted to turn and just kick the ball right to who? All those familiar faces who have shed spoils with you and have done all kinds of things with you. The tread of your old coach rings aloud. But it's at that moment you need to realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm not on the same jersey. I have the same name, I'm not the same jersey, not the same number, I have a different coach. My coach is right there and not back there. The old voice is no longer your master because you have a new and better master. So verse 12 says this, Therefore, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. We do not because we do not have to listen to the old voice that haunts us and lures us and frightens us because we no longer belongs to that. Now friends, sin is real. We know sin is real. This, this, the, the voice of sin is familiar. We've heard it all our lives. And his desire for us to, to give rein to him is real. This is what sin wants. He wants us to give in to, to evil desires. He wants our minds to engage with its demands. I don't know if you've heard of this. You just need to be a bit more self-centered. You have the right to be proud. You have the right to be angry. You're better than others. You should be afraid of speaking the truth. It's alright to last a little bit. What's wrong with just wanting a bit more and be a bit more greedy? 
setting one's our eyes to wonder with evil, envy, and desires over what the world is peddling for the world to grab rather than the eternal life. Sin wants our hands to grab the treasures of this world and ignore the treasure that's right there in heaven. Sin wants our feet to be swift to follow the world rather than to follow the way of the cross. Sin wants us to redefine objective truths as subjective truths. To redefine, perhaps, for example, love, marriage, relationships, that these things should be things that you should enjoy, that is pleasurable to you, rather than what is right before God. Sin wants every part of our body as instruments of wickedness, and you will call out to us relentlessly. But Paul calls us to remember, when we are united with Christ and are set free from sin, Sin is no longer our master because God is our master. And Paul tells us in verse 13, look at verse 13, not to give in to our former master's sin, not to give in any part of ourselves an instrument of wickedness. Rather, we are to offer ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and to offer every part of ourselves to God as instrument of righteousness. Paul reminds us we are to obey God rather than sin. And notice how Paul explains who we are and how we should live. That we, we do not just turn away from sin to nothing. We turn away from sin to God. We don't just turn away from sin to, to nothingness. We turn away from sin to God. Paul reminds us that we resist sin by offering ourselves to God. Well, this verse 1 to 14 that we are to recognize we are no longer, we no longer need to, uh, sin because we are free from sin's power. But here's the question. Why should we then turn to God? Okay, we can turn away from sin, but why turn to God when we become free from sin? And that's what Paul's want to address for the rest from 15 to 6, from 15 to 23. The reason we need to is clear right because we have and we need a new master we have and we need a new master look at verse 15 and 16 with me what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace by no means don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Now Paul is asking a similar question in verse 15 as he did back in verse 1. Are we free to sin because we're now under grace? Is grace the license to sin? And his answer is no. And this is the second layer of reason. The first reason we have died to sin, freed from sin. The second reason is that we are freed from sin for a new master. Now here is surprise, here's a surprising truth that world may reject. But that's what Paul is saying. Listen to this. Here's the surprising truth. The world will reject, but this is what Paul is saying. That we are never, ever 
free to be our own master. Let me say that again. We're never ever free to be our own master. This is what sin wants the world and wants us to think. The world wants us to think that we can disobey God and listen to ourselves to be our free men. Isn't that what the world would think? That's not true. If you ask the first man and woman who experience it, they tell you, this is the reality. When you disobey, when you turn away from God in obedience and sin, you come to the slavery of sin. Because there's only obedience and disobedience. Sin will have us believe we are our own master, but that is far from the truth. And that's where Paul points in verse 16. There are only two masters, sin, another way of saying disobedience to God, which leads to death, or obedience to God, which leads to righteousness, that is to life. So we either serve sin as our master or sin, our God as our master, because there isn't a third master. That's why we do not and cannot simply just reject sin without coming to God. We cannot just reject disobedience without obedience. There's no nothing in between the head and the tail in the coin. And that's why grace does not give us license to indulge in sin, but cause us to be free in order that we can obey. Verse 17 and 18, look at it with me. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, the pattern of teaching in verse 17 that has set us free and claimed our allegiance, what is it? It is it is this gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to obey from our heart, God's word, when we come to trust in Jesus fully, to acknowledge He's both our Lord and Savior, His grace is upon us and we are set free from sin and we're enabled to be slaves to righteousness. So back in our example of our professional football player being brought from the old team to the new team, the player is free from the old team that used to play wickedly to a new team that plays only rightly. So the player is brought from the old team to the new team, and likewise, we are saved from sin into righteousness. Now, of course, Paul recognized this illustration is not perfect of using slavery, and it's worse for us because in our culture, slavery is always negative, it's always bad. It's not always bad in Paul's time, but Paul acknowledges that this is a limited illustration, but he's using an everyday example. But nevertheless, it is a good illustration, so he continues using the illustration of slavery. In fact, in, in Romans, in the, in the time of the Romans, in the Roman Christians back then, they are actually very clear what slavery looks like, because a big portion, according to history, a large portion of people in Rome are slaves. In fact, in the Roman Empire, there are a lot of free men or women used to be slaves. So when you talk about slavery, they, they understand what slavery means, what it means to be under a good master, what it means under a bad master. And he knows slavery involves, being a slave involves being totally loyal to whoever 
is the master. So Paul appeals to the listeners to us to, to have a right loyalty to the master that we have and to recognize how good God has been in rescuing us from our former life, taking away our identity as Melvin the Vow to be the Melvin, the great or the righteous, bring us from the old team of wickedness to a new team of righteousness, of freeing us from sin so that we can enjoy life in Him. Now besides being familiar with, with slavery in Rome, if you're a Christian at the time and you read your scriptures, there's an understanding of such a thing called good master in the Bible. Let me bring you to all the way back to Moses' time when he speaks of slaves who love their master. Let me read this for us. I put it up there from Exodus 21, verse 5 to verse 6. If the slave to be set free, he declares, I love my master and my wife and my children and do not want to go free. Then his master must take him before the judges. He should take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an owl. Then he will be his servant for life. There are such things. That I love my master and I would rather stay here. And if that is what you say, I bring you before the judge and we make it permanent. The examples of good masters in Hebrew cultures where servants would willingly pledge their loyalty because their masters are good. And God is a good master, Paul reminds us. The pattern of teaching they have claimed their allegiance perhaps exhibited when they baptize into the Lord. The pattern of teaching that includes their call to repentance the gospel of grace in Jesus, the death and the resurrection to save them, the teaching of Jesus, how to live as kingdom people, the teachings that they have received, that they have given their allegiance to. So their baptism was no less like the, 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 the servant who has said, and I will stick with you for life. There's no turning back and there's no one thing to turn back. And so Paul reminds Christians how loyalty to God should look like. Look at verse 19 with me. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. No, we are to offer ourselves willingly to righteousness because it leads to holiness, it leads to living like our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that change, we have changed our loyalty from sin to to God. And all this comes from the understanding of truth. And here's the interesting one that Christopher Ash actually raised and stressed uh, in his book on Romans when it comes to the pattern of teaching. Let me read to you when he noticed this passage. He says this, People who have been placed in the care of the doctrine of grace should respond by offering themselves to the God of grace. And what Paul is saying, he wants us to offer ourselves afresh to God. So those who have been rescued from the doctrine of grace should offer themselves to the God who is the God of grace. Because the grace that has freed us is so costly, it's just unimaginable that we want to go back and dig ourselves back in the mud 
and the horror of sin. So the venomous words we utter, the lies we have said, the rejection of truth, the sinful passions, the lusts, the greeds, the hypocrisy, the serving of ourselves, all the wasted years of sin. Paul now looks at all these things and says, you guys, you look back to your life. All the sins that you have committed, you and I have committed, look at all of them. Are they worth it? And those who look at the cross says it is not. At the fall of Adam and Eve, when they listened to the serpent, he says, taste the goodness of the fruit. And they beat on the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Did the serpent come back and say, did it taste good? The moment Adam and Eve beat the fruit of disobedience, they stand alone to face the judgment and the cost of what they have beaten. The serpent was not coming back to say, surely that was good, isn't it? That's what sin does all the time. So verse 21, What benefit do you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Perhaps just for a moment, you and me, perhaps it's worth pausing, just thinking of the wrong things you've done, the sins you've done, the things that we have regretted doing, that we have begged Jesus to take for us because it's too shameful, it's too painful, it's too costly. He took it for us. Just for a moment, think of those things that we have done that are sinful. Is any of them worth it? Is any of them worth doing? This is what Paul's point is. We are quick to forget, but Paul says, don't be too quick to forget. God is quick to forgive, but we should not be too quick to forget the cost of sin. It's like swallowing the sin's bait. What benefit is there? Because as we sin, we are sinking into the bait like a fish sinking into a bait that has this big hook in it. Or as we bit on the juicy looking fruit, but in it is a rotten core with worms and maggots growing in it. They make us sick and they lead us to death. But that was our past, verse 22. Look at it with me. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Now our past slavery to sin leads us to shame and death, but our new slavery to God leads us to more, to be more like our resurrected Christ. And when the time comes, we get ushered in to the eternal kingdom in the eternal life promised to us. So dear friends, as we conclude, let us come back to our dear friend Melvin and his friend. Does grace give Christians excuse to sin? Does grace open a floodgate for people to sin? And Paul's answer for both accounts is by no means. How about us? Are there moments in our life, in your life, in my life, where we're just a bit tempted to sin and a voice comes in and tells us, it's alright, God will forgive you. 
What would you do? What would I do? It's alright to deny Him. It's alright to be ashamed for a while. It's alright. It's alright to just be a bit greedier. It's alright to last just a little bit. It's alright. Jesus will forgive you. His grace is more than sufficient. On those moments when we feel like it, let's Paul, let Paul's voice come back to us to say, by no means, my brother and sister. Because these two things he has given us. The first is we have been set free from the power of sin. It can tempt us, it can threaten us, but it cannot bite us with death. Paul's reminder on the first. And the second is because we now have a new master. We have a new master who loves us and offers us free gift. Free gift of eternal life. We didn't earn it. It's given to us freely. And that's how we understand this very last verse in 23. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Master sin remembers the the wages to pay. Master sin always pay the wages of those who are his slaves. He never forgets. He'll pay death rightly. But Master God always remembers to offer the gift we don't deserve eternal life. Now friends, let's put it out there as Christians, you and I, we do face real struggles when we, receive, when we resist sinning day by day. It's not easy. We know that from experience. And we'll look into the struggle next week in Romans 7. And I'll need to depend on grace even more. But today's passage, Paul wants his listeners, wants you and me, wants the Roman Christians to recognize we are indeed free from the power of sin and we are indeed saved to a good and powerful master. So may we hold on to the freedom we have. May we look on to the God who is our master that we can cry out to when we are desperate. One thing we can't do before we are a Christian is when sin calls, We have nowhere to turn. But when we become a Christian, when sin calls, we turn to our master and cry, help. And he's there listening to us. Let's close this time in prayer and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for forgiveness of sins, the amazing grace we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Help us to remember our freedom from the power of sin in killing us. Help us to look to Jesus when we hear the voice of sin. Let us look to his death, look to his resurrection where we are tempted to sin. Help us to cry out to you whenever we hear the whispers of temptation and the thundering voice of threats. Help us to remember what we have in Christ and who we are in you. That we may live each day as you as our master and not slave to sin. So we thank you and we pray and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.